world's becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick Bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. Lipstick Bodyguard, fear no evil. Get yours today, only at LipstickBodyguard.com. simple act of smiling, even when you don't mean it, reduce physical pain, relieve stress and impact our overall health. Find out this week as Diane has an eye-opening conversation with smiles expert Dr. Sarah Pressman. Join 180 million monthly subscribers who can now listen to Parents Are Hard To Raise on Spotify. are hard to raise, helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert Diane Berardi. Should doctors care about our happiness? Scientists call it PA, or positive affect, and its effect on our bodies and physical health is nothing short of amazing. My special guest expert this week is here to tell us why. Dr. Sarah Pressman is an associate professor of psychology and social behavior at the University of California, Irvine. Her work examines how positive emotions are beneficial for physical health and how they can protect us from the harmful effects of stress in the face of adversity. Dr. Pressman's research findings have been published in top psychology journals and featured in media outlets like the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Colbert Report. Dr. Sarah Pressman, welcome to Parents Are Hard to Raise. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I'm thinking about uh, any doctor that I've ever been gone to, no one ever asked me, how happy are you? Right. <laughs> and I think they would be scared if I said, I'm not happy. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think if if you say you're not, the initial thing they'll do is assume you're depressed, right? Which is a whole different question. Yeah. So why should doctors care about our happiness? Well, as your introduction so eloquently <laughs> stated, I mean, I've been doing this work for almost 20 years and many people have been doing it for longer than me. And, you know, the connection between feeling more positive, feeling more excited, feeling more happy and our physical health, it's unquestionable. You know, there's dozens and dozens of studies showing that people who are more positive live, you know, potentially years longer than people who don't. And beyond that, that there's a host of other health benefits. You know, they experience less pain. If we expose them to a cold virus, they're, you know, 30% less likely to get sick. Wow. Um, you know, even things like, um, yeah, and that's even if you put a droplet of no of, of cold virus in their nose or flu virus in their nose, they're really? less likely than their less happy counterparts um, to get sick. And, um, you know, even things like your likelihood of tripping and falling is related to your positive emotions. And so it seems to have a very broad effect on a lot of health yeah. outcomes in a very real way. So tripping and falling, huh? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Which is definitely relevant to, you know, the older, yes. the older listeners or people with older parents. Yeah. And there have been studies done in older samples for precisely that reason. 
um, you know, looking at what, you know, what are, are, you know, it's kind of surprising. You assume that people trip and fall because, you know, it's an accident, but right. you know, how much of that is, you know, their lack of energy or, um, you know, maybe something about how they view the world around them, if they're being conscientious, if they're paying attention. And those things may very well be related to positive emotions. Now, why, um, why don't doctors r- relate to this at all? It's a great question. <laughs> and it's something I struggle with. And I go and I, t- I, I, I've spoken at many medical conferences to try to talk to them about it. And I think there's a few reasons. I mean, I think first off, a lot of them don't know this literature. You know, I, yeah. I've been in the field of psychoneuroimmunology for you know decades, but they might not even know that that field exists. And so medical curriculum is so overloaded with the biological aspects that yeah. they have to learn that there just isn't time to fit these kinds of topics into the curriculum. And, you know, my own experience having taken some medical school classes is, you know, you might get a couple of points thrown in like, oh, yeah, stress damages the immune system or disrupts the immune system or depression is related to, you know, your likelihood of surviving heart disease or something like that. But, you know, even that work is very um, rarely discussed in the medical curriculum. And then on top of that, you know, the thing that that really happens when I talk to doctors about this is they're like, well, so what do I do? So I ask my patient if they're happy and they tell me that they're not, but they're not depressed you know, what do I do? And there's no prescription that they can hand out that says, go be happy. Um, yeah, right. You know, and the, you know, there's no pill that they can take that makes them happy. An antidepressant doesn't make you happy, right? And so I think that's the biggest picture or the biggest piece that's missing with why they won't care about it is, you know, they don't have a, a next step to do. And yeah, we need a next step. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I, there are companies working on this, right? So there's a lot of happiness yeah. apps now. Um, and, and they're trying to kind of fill that gap, I think, where, you know, the same way that there's a lot of mindfulness apps right now where they're trying to beep you every day and encourage you to take a moment of calm, you know, a moment of, of being thoughtful and, and peaceful. Um, you know, there are happiness apps that do the same thing that try to encourage you to, you know, take a moment and reflect on what you're grateful for yeah. or take a moment and, you know, try to think about, you know, your goals and strive towards them. So there, there is some movement, but it's that piece between medicine and those apps is, is lacking, you know, and certainly there's not a lot of research out there to suggest that using that app has a downstream benefit on how long you live or something. So that piece is definitely missing as well. And I guess um, physicians, they separate the mind from the body. You Absolutely. Know? And so they just look at, uh, you know, the external factors of the disease. They don't look at the mind at all. So this is what, what we have to, you know, we have to gear them. I know we have to, there's so many, so many shows we've done and so many things, you know, I guess, I guess it's the training, right? It's the, it's the training. It's, I think that's where it has to start. And, you know, there is some movement to try to get doctors. Um, I'm in a society called the um, American Psychosomatic Society, which is really a group of both psychologists and MDs who do this kind of mind body work. Okay. And, you know, they're trying to give medical schools, you know, support and resources to have journal clubs to teach medical students about this and to bring medical students for free to these kinds of conferences. Because I think patients want their doctors to know this work and they want them to, you know, when you go to your doctor and you're convinced that you have an illness or you're overwhelmingly stressed and you think it's affecting your health and they deny you that, you know, and they say, no, no, there's nothing wrong. You know, I think that's very upsetting as a patient. And I think that 
again, I mean, it, it's that doctors aren't trained about all of the interconnections between mind and body that the psychologists are doing research on. And so it, it's, it's just a gap in their knowledge and it's affecting patient care. And so I think training is really where it would have to start. But, you know, the, the trick is what, what do you take out to put this in or do we yeah. make medical training longer? So it's, it's definitely a difficult question. You know, and I, I, I think about, you know, the caregiver, you know, with, uh, there's, with their, their parent and going to the doctor and you can just look at them and say, oh my gosh, um, every time they come in, you know, you can see they're, they have things going on that they're deteriorating physically. And, uh, so and doctors don't ask, you know, well, at home, what's the situation or, you know, what else, what other responsibilities do you have or different things like that? I, I guess they don't realize there's so many things that play into, uh, you know, a, a person's well-being. For the caregiver, you mean? Yes. Absolutely. And I mean, caregivers for psychologists who study stress, you know, caregivers are one of our go-to populations to study chronic stress because, you know, it's just, it, it affects every single part of your life when, you know, your entire world revolves around taking care of this person who's yeah. deteriorating. And, um, you know, we know that, you know, their immune systems don't function as well. They're more likely to have all sorts of health problems because of this chronic stress. But yeah, we don't do that much for them to help make them more resilient. And, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting question of whether or not some positive psychology types of interventions would help this population, you know, to help them find right. those moments of, of joy or yeah. at least moments of peace while they're facing this chronic stressor. And I would expect it would be really helpful because one of the things that positive emotion seems to do best is help undo the negative effects of stress. You oh. know, so, yeah. you know, it's not that it's this magic you know, thing, but you know, what it does do, and I think this is very intuitive to a lot of people is it's very hard to be extremely stressed and extremely happy at the same time, right? You know, one is going to win. And so what research has shown is that it helps our bodies kind of undo the stress a little bit, you know, to have our heart rates drop, to have our stress hormones drop. And that's exactly what caregivers need. I think we'd have to be sensitive to, I mean, this is kind of a, 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 a trick with a lot of positive psychology research is, you know, I think a lot of people assume that it's happyology and we're just telling you to be happy all right. the time. And of course, that's not at all what we're saying. You know, negative emotions are very functional. And certainly in the in the situation of a caregiver who has chronic stress, we would yeah. never expect them to be happy all the time. But if you can just break up some of the negative effects of stress just for to give them a break, you know, you can imagine that that gives their body a chance to kind of go back into homeostasis and you know, do the things it's supposed to do. You know, positive emotion, for example, has been shown to be really effective at helping you sleep better at night. Really? You know, yeah. and, um, you know, and um, it, yeah, in my own work, you know, it, it helps people have higher quality sleep, fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer. And that's exactly what a caregiver needs, right? They need to yes. have peaceful sleep that's undisturbed by all the thoughts of the sort of hassles that are going on in their life. You know, I, I think of myself when my mom first got sick and I was, you know, taking her to doctors and, and uh, I was going up, going, I, I'm like, t was two hours away and running up every week and, and I kept getting sick. I kept getting a cold and I, I'm saying, oh, why is that? But I guess, you know, I, I mean, when you think about it and now that she passed, now I'm doing the same for my dad. I mean, my dad is not, you know 
he he's not suffering you know from cancer or, or, but but he has his own problems and i so my journey continues as, as so many caregivers you know there's just a never ending uh there's no break. And I think I, I sit there in, you know, the middle of the night, I, you don't sleep and you think, oh, my gosh, you know, how how do you live your life and how do you find that peace or that happiness or that relaxation? You know, it's, right. um, this would help so many caregivers. Um, right. And, I, and happiness, I guess, you know, what is it? It's subjective. It's highly subjective and it, and it doesn't have to be happy, right? right? I mean, there's a lot of different positive emotions. And I think that's something that a lot of people also get confused about yes. where they think, you know, when we're saying you have to be happy, happy, we're using happy, you know, more colloquially as a way of talking about positive emotions more broadly. But positive emotions that are good for us can in- include feeling active and vigorous. Yeah. It can include feeling excited. It could include feeling peaceful and uh, calm. Right. It can include feeling content. It doesn't have to be slap a smiley face sticker right, on it, you right, know? Yes. And, um, you know, there's a lot to be said for um, eudaimonic well-being, which is also a big area that's growing in the health literature, which is, you know, having life purpose or having life meaning. You know, those aren't things that, again, are like the typical happy face. I mean, you could be, you could have one of the hardest, most difficult jobs, but it's giving your life meaning. Yeah. And that's tied to a lot of health benefits as well. And so a lot of the... Um, you know, positive psychology interventions out there are targeted at things like that. You know, it's, you know, trying to help people find meaning in their lives or trying to help them find purpose in their lives or align their goals to, you know, or their their activities to meet their long-term goals, which again, does give you that sort of sense of purpose and achievement that really has been shown to be related to positive emotions like happiness as well. We're going to continue talking with Dr. Sarah Pressman. But first, if you're a woman or there's a woman in your life, there's something you absolutely need to know. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse and she was attacked on her way home from work. She was totally taken by surprise. And although Katie is only five feet tall, and 106 pounds, she was easily able to drop her 6 foot 4, 250 pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. Katie wasn't just lucky that day, she was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States, and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick, so no one will suspect a thing, which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent-looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National Park Rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick to stop 2,000-pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you in your purse or your pocket. Darkness brings danger. Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. Who's there? If it's somebody bad, 
Will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake-up call for all of us, myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. Were you ever young? You're listening to Parents Are Hard To Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. Listen to this and other episodes on demand using the iHeartRadio app. iPhone users can listen on Apple Podcasts and Android users on Google Podcasts. Want a great new way to listen to the show? Just say, Alexa, play Parents Are Hard To Raise podcast. Getting the latest episode of Parents Are Hard To Raise. Here it is from iHeartRadio. It's as simple as that. You're right, Dolly. There are so many really cool new ways to listen to our show. It's hard to keep track. You can join the 180 million listeners on Spotify. You can listen in your car, at the gym, or pretty much anywhere on your smartphone with Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. You can get us on Apple TV, DirecTV, Roku. And like Dolly said, you can even ask Alexa to play the show for you. It's great because you don't have to be tied to a radio anymore. You can listen when you want, where you want, for as long as you want. And if you're listening to the show in one of these new ways, please do me a big favor. Share this new technology and help someone else learn about the show and show them a new way to listen. And Parents Are Hard to Raise audience, you know I love getting your feedback and your emails. And I just wanted to thank several of our listeners here. Angela from Marlton, New Jersey. She wrote, love, love, love the senior bullying show. Actually, I had the show transcript in front of me on my desk and just had to write you. I'm so happy I found you. Keep up the great work. And that Senior Bullying Show was back in Season 2, Episode 83, in our show archives. Melanie Decker, director of the Howell Senior Center in Howell Township, did that show with us. And Molly from Kronoberg, Sweden, I hope I pronounced that correctly, really got a lot of information from our show on Parkinson's with Dr. Neil Hammond and Sarah Jones, and would like to hear more on the subject. And Dr. George from Wellington, New Zealand, couldn't say enough great things about the episodes from the Change Foundation in Canada. So thank you so much for sending these emails to us. So Sarah, when you were talking about uh, uh, meaning and purpose, I was thinking of Dr. Victor Frankel's work. So um, you are the smiles expert. (laughs) So I, I talk to us about, you know, can the simple act of smiling. Yeah. And I'm going to say that one of the, (laughs) one of the times I was on a radio interview talking about that work, they played the song Sarah smile and I couldn't (laughs) stop laughing for about 10 minutes of the interview. So thank you for not doing that. Um. (laughs) I'm surprised they did not do that. (laughs) (laughs) and there was no warning and yeah it was it was pretty funny (laughs) that was um yeah so smiling it's it's an interesting area and it's something that I think a lot of people have a hard time believing and it's even a little bit of a controversial area in psychology believe it or not but there's long long standing beliefs um long long standing research that our facial expressions aren't just an outward expression of how we're feeling, but it actually changes how we feel. So this literally dates back to Darwin. So Darwin said things like, you know, if we, if we conjure up an expression that it changes how we feel. 
And wow. this work has been done by psychologists for a long time where they do these clever research studies where people think they're doing something else for the research project. You know, they think they're multitasking or they think they're trying out some, you know, new device with their mouth. But what we're actually doing is, is tricking them into making some kind of expression. Um, you know, sometimes it's not smiling. Smiling, we typically put something in their mouth. Um, there's actually a device now called the smile stick that really? will be put in your mouth to make yourself smile. Um, but then we might also do something huh. like, um, um, you know, have you hold a, a, what's it called? The thing that you put a golf ball on, the little stick. Um, tea. Oh, the, the tea, tea. The tea, tea. That they'll tape it between your, your, your eyes and have you try to hold it. And that activates negative emotion related muscles in your huh. face. Or we study people who have had Botox for the opposite reason, because, you know, they can't move certain muscles in their face and that might also affect how they feel. And what we see is that the term, you know, the, the kind of colloquial saying like fake, make it, uh, fake it, fake it and you'll feel it, yeah. or, you know, fake it till you make it, or, you know, those kinds of, you know, fake it till you feel it expressions that those are true. And that if you have someone, you know, activating a smile, even if they don't know that they're smiling, that it changes their behavior, it changes their perception, it changes how they feel in a positive way and vice versa. You know, if we block your ability to, um, you know, for example, scowl by blocking that muscle um, that in between your eyebrows that, you know, it's kind of, it's called the corrugator muscle. It's your frown muscle. You know, if you block that with Botox, that those people don't actually perceive negative emotions in the same way and don't respond to negative emotions in the same way. So there's actually a lot of clinical trials going on right now using that as a potential treatment for depression. So this research is, you know, wow, longstanding. Yeah. It's 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 a huge area, um, and you know, my my perspective on it, my interest in it, has really been in not so much the emotion side of, you know, I don't really believe that. Well, maybe. I mean, there's a if you ever this is dating me, but I used to watch Ally McBeal, and they used to joke yes. about um, like smile therapy, and like Ally would have to walk around with a smile on her face all day. You know, I don't think there's any good evidence that that would work. And you know, we know that when people are in customer service jobs where yeah. they are forced to smile all day, that can actually lead to like the opposite effect on your mood. But what I do think it can be useful for is the same thing that we were talking about before with the caregivers and the positive emotions kind of breaking a negative emotion, giving you a a break from it, giving you kind of a a rest from your stress. I feel like smiling is kind of ideally suited in that situation where, you know, if we're sitting in traffic and we're scowling or we're sitting over some really hard work and just really angry about it. And then we like take a break for a minute and just like put on a really cheesy big smile (laughs) that is, we're going to look insane to our friends, especially if we're in an open office space. You know, or the people driving next to us on the highway. (laughs) But, you know, what we've seen in our lab is that something about doing that is sending a message back to your brain and back to your body that you're actually happy. You're not stressed. And so we don't need to have those high levels of heart rate activity and high blood pressure. We can kind of reduce that because you're not actually in danger. You're not actually under threat. And so, um, you know, in our work, what we've done is we've shown that if you have your hand in a bucket of ice water, which is a very painful task, if you're um, doing like a really difficult dexterity task that's impossible and frustrating, right. or even if you're getting a needle, that if we just make you smile, even if you don't know that you're smiling, that we can improve huh. how quickly you recover from that pain and we can actually, or that stress, and we can actually make um, needles hurt about 40% less by really? having you simply smile while you're doing it. It's amazing. 
<laughs> I will say not all smiles are made equally. Um, so there are actually um, lots and lots of different kinds of smiles. You know, there's smiles of pain and discomfort and right. embarrassment, right? So the smiles that are most effective are what we call um, Duchesne smiles, named after one of the earliest researchers on this topic. But essentially, it's when you smile, when someone smiles at you and you can really tell it's sincere yeah. is when their eyes are activated as well. So you get like the crow's feet around your eyes and the yeah. wrinkles kind of around your eyes. That that plus the, you know, typical, you know, teeth, teeth raised kind of, <laughs> you know, smile, that, that's how you can tell it's sincere is if their eyes are involved in it. You know, it's not the Starbucks barista kind of smile where it's just their mouth right. and they're like, yeah, yeah. get out of here. You're, you're holding up the line kind of smile. Wow. Yeah. yeah. When you think about it, yeah, you, you, that isn't a great way to tell. And where would you get those smile sticks? <laughs> I could, I could. <laughs> if, you, if, if you just Google it, you'll find it. There's, they have a website for it. So, um, yeah, and we actually did a, a research study with a smile stick company. You know, their hope was to kind of, you know, in our research studies, what we, what we commonly use is just like a, an old pen or a pair of chopsticks. Like it's not right. the most sanitary, <laughs> yeah. you know, thing to do. I mean, obviously we throw away this chopstick and get a new pair, but you know, it's not like the kind of thing where it's like, you're going to give this to your mom and be like, Hey, hold these. Yeah. But if you had a device that said smile stick and you said, Hey, hold this in your mouth while you get a needle, like that seems a little bit more appealing. And so, and the smile stick absolutely works just as well as, you know, chopsticks or pens or whatever. I would like to give them out this Christmas. <laughs> sticks to some people. <laughs> Excellent. Oh my gosh! Now we'll, we'll get it on. We'll get it on Oprah's must must buy gift yeah, list this right. year. Yeah, that's right. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I, I I guess um, there's a company that invented them. I mean, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> now, what about um, if you? go to your doctor or, and, you know, let's say then you see the nurse first and she's smiling, you know, talking to you, taking down information. Is that, would a person tend to be more relaxed and smile because, you know, that other person is doing that and it's. Whether or not smiles are contagious. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. They are. I mean, it's one of the most fundamental human reflexes, right? I mean, they're one of, so when we study emotion and in, in, in psychology, you know, a lot of the time we're kind of thinking in the back of our heads, okay, well, what is the evolutionary function for this? You know, why would smiling, why would we smile, right? right like right. What, what's the point of it? And so the, the best guess, I mean, it's hard to prove any evolutionary theory, but the best guess is that smiling is something that is easy to see from far away to tell another person that you're not a threat. You know, and then it would be adaptive yeah. if we had this kind of contagious ability for us to kind of signal from far away, oh, you know, this is someone who I can gather with, potentially meet with. I mean, who knows, right? Right, <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, to, to have that, you know, both be easy to see and to have it be contagious so that we do it back at each other. And then on top of that, to also have that um, concomitant sort of reduction in our arousal so that we're calm and we're not you know, about to attack this person, right? Smiling is having this relaxing effect on the body. It's enabling us to make these social connections that were essential to human survival. And so, you know, that's why you do see that most of the time. I mean, obviously there's huge cultural variation in smiling. Yeah. You know, some countries are actually very smile averse, very happiness averse. There's actually a like really? year of happiness scale um, where certain countries 
see it as kind of a sign of foolishness or a sign of, um, you know, simpleness or something like that. Um, And so they, they really don't like smiling. And I think the really interesting unanswered question is, so if they smile, would we see the same stress effects, for example, you know, if, even if they hate smiling. Um, And so we don't really know the answer to that yet, but fortunately, you know, smiling is, you know, there's lots of cross-cultural research around the world that shows it is this universal expression of positive emotion. And to that, to the extent that that's true, we would expect that it would be helpful, you know, and, and, you know, stress reducing for everyone. Yeah. I I think about, uh, you know, caregivers, whether, um, you know, you're taking care of your parent or you, you work, you know, as a caregiver and thinking, you know, if you smile and approaching a patient, you know, uh, how that would relax them and maybe help them smile, you Absolutely. know? And yeah. Yeah. I mean, to make, you know, I mean, the doctor patient relationship, the caregiver patient relationship to that extent too. I mean, it's so important. Right. And yeah. so often it's just kind of rushed and right. professional and there isn't time to be nice. Yeah. And a smile is something that takes no time at all. And um, absolutely. I think that, you know, having, you know, even just having doctors trained to kind of smile at people more could potentially reduce a little bit of stress in the medical establishment. I mean, we know that people get um, white coat hypertension, right, yeah. you know, where their blood pressure goes up just by seeing a doctor. And, you know, maybe if the doctor was more positive and more smiley and yeah. friendly that they would, you know, reduce that. And I think, you know, honestly, I think nurses get this a lot, you know, because they're the ones who spend more time with the patients. Yeah. And I think they're doing it intuitively to a great degree, um, you know, even without necessarily knowing the research, just because they see that it helps. And, you know, from the perspective of caregiving as well, I mean, my own experience, my grandmother had very serious dementia and, you know, didn't know who I was. Right. But if I smiled at her, she would smile back, Aww. you know, and, and, yeah. and she got that positive emotion and that contagion of emotion was still there even to the end. And so I feel like that is such a simple, positive behavior that actually can have a physiological benefit and an emotional benefit. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Now, how can people find out about your research? Um, they can Google me and I have um, a TED talk on um, why doctors should care about happiness. Um, and I have um, a website as well. Um, you know, again, if they just Google Sarah Pressman, it's sarahpressman.wixsite.com. Um, and they can um, read a lot of my papers, uh, you know, for free there and learn a little bit about it and see the link to the, the TED talk as well. Um, and also, I, I looked it up just so that you have it for your Christmas list or your Hanukkah list or whatever list. Um, it's the power of smiling.com is ah. the, is where you buy smile sticks. <laughs> oh, thank you. This is great. Thank you so much. So I don't want you, I don't want you to miss out on that opportunity because I think that sounds like a great idea. It is a great idea. I know. See? <laughs> thank you so much, Sarah, for being here today. Absolutely. And I also just wanted to say it's National or International Random Acts of Kindness Day. So go Uh out and do some nice things for other people and that'll raise their positive emotions too. Oh, that's wonderful. And parents are hard to raise family. I love getting your emails and questions, so please keep sending them. You can reach me at Diane at ParentsAreHardToRaise.org or just click the green button on our homepage. Parents Are Hard to Raise is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Our New York producer is Joshua Green. Our broadcast engineer is Well Gambino. And from our London studios, the melodic voice of our announcer, Miss Dolly D. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time, may you forget everything you don't want to remember. 
and remember everything you don't want to forget. See you again next week.